morning, everyone. For those of you who might be visitors who don't know me, my name is Paul Graham. I'm lead teaching pastor here at Lakeside, and uh, we're in the second week of our series on Ephesians. You'll be going into the third week in your group, and uh, one of the things that we're looking at today in Ephesians uh, 1, 15 to 23, uh, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or tap there on your phones, that's where we're going to be. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you, and if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that one. Someone may, ahead of you, already filled in some helpful notes in the margin, so that's a good deal on that Bible. Or some child may have illustrated it for you, so that's just a little bonus for you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one. But uh, in the text here today, Paul is going to specifically talk about uh, the eyes of our hearts being opened and that we have the knowledge and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so it's just the emphasis today is going to be on understanding how important it is that we know and that we have that wisdom and all of those things that come and flow from that. And uh, so just let me open up in a word of prayer, because there's a lot in this text, and uh, I want to unpack it in a way uh, that is hopefully helpful to us all, myself included. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the study that we can do on it before we even come here, that we have your scripture uh, before us. Thank you for the translators and the, the saints that have done the work in history to... Uh, get your word out of the Hebrew and the Greek and into English and to translate it so faithfully and to assemble the thousands of documents that we have that testify to your word, what your prophets wrote and what you gave through the apostles and that that we, we have literally millions of copies just here at our disposal and we get to open them and have your Holy Spirit speak to us by your living word, Lord. What an incredible privilege that oh so often we just neglect that you know we have so many bibles that they just seem to lay around sometimes unopened and they become almost too familiar to us and so lord i pray this morning that we would be impressed upon us the importance that we know your word and how important it is to the power of living the christian life uh, to have the word of god in us and so lord i just pray that even right now your word would be living and active and that we would understand it by your Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, And so just to set it up so that you know that in this text, and we're going to be focusing on verses 19 through to 23, but I'll read the whole text, that Paul has two big doctrines in mind, okay? Two big truths. Doctrine is just a fancy word for truth. And uh, so he has two big doctrines in mind, and I just want you to keep them in mind ahead of time as we unpack this. The first doctrine is the supremacy and the power of Christ, which you're going to see quite clearly. But then the application is the doctrine or the truth of our union with Christ. Okay, That's how it's going to unfold for us. And it'll take us some steps to get there, but that's why I wanted you to know that ahead of time. Because as Paul writes to these Christians in Ephesus, and indeed is writing to us as Christians, he wants them to be filled with the hope of who they are in Christ, what God has done for them in Christ, that they not despair, that they know the inheritance they have, all of that thing, all of those things, and he wants them to know that they are uh, you have union with Christ in those things. So let's and and let's just read the text and see how it unpacks. So it's Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. So Paul here is praying essentially for the people, or he's explaining what his prayer is for them. And the main sort of action verb of this prayer, what he wants for them, if you picked it out there, is having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And there's three things, if you follow that statement, following that statement, there's three things having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you want to know. And the first one is hope. He says, what is the hope and what are the riches? And so Paul covered those first two completely, pretty completely in the eight things that we are in Jesus last week. And so now, after explaining that he wants us to know the hope and he wants us to know the riches of our inheritance, Paul wants to take the Ephesians to what it, they need of having a hope in life and a purpose in life to the fulfillment of these promises in life. And so what is it as a Christian, as Ephesians living in Ephesus or as Christians living here in Halliburton, that we need from God in addition to those two things? And Paul explains it quite clearly. We need power, right? The third thing that he wants us to know is power, and he wants to emphasize that, and he goes on for the rest of the paragraph to talk about the power that we have in Christ Jesus. The rest of this chapter is focused on encouraging the Christians about the immeasurable greatness of God's power. And notice here that he does not pray that they have more power. He does not say to them, you know, I pray that you have more power, more of God's power. What he's doing is he's actually saying you already have the power. And so what you take away from this is that the best way to a subjective experience of joy and victory in the Christian life, because this is what Paul wants for them. He wants them to know all these truths about Jesus, but he wants them to actually experience joy and victory in the Christian life. And he says, the, and, and what he's saying is the best way for you to have that experience of joy and victory in your Christian life is by knowledge of the truth and doctrine of Scripture. He wants them to know that if you are in Christ, you already have this power. I don't have to pray that you have more power. I just need you to see that you already have it in Christ. You may not have apprehended it yet. Christ is already seated at the right hand and has all authority. Glory is already here. It's not simply waiting to come. You have this power now. And Paul knows that in our heart as Christians, when when we run into trials and when we see sin in our life and in our hearts, we will begin to question if we actually have that power and if we will get from the beginning of our faith to our end in heaven and in glorification. 
So he's started out saying, this is the plan of the Father. These are the things that Christ has done. This is the seal and guarantee of the Spirit. But he knows those are all well and good to talk about on Sunday morning. It's great to praise those things as you're in the Scripture and you're surrounded by the saints. But then you go home on, on Monday morning or on Sunday afternoon and you wake up on Monday morning and you start to question just because of the distraction of your life, because of the sin that you have in your heart, because of the trials that you face whether this is really present for you now. And Paul wants us to know that it is present for us now. We need to know that God has power beyond what we ask or imagine. When we walk with them, he can keep us from stumbling, that he's overcome sin. He's overcome everything in our lives that we struggle with, that sin, that attitude, that habit, whatever it is. We need power to live the Christian life, and that's what Paul wants these Christians to know. Power towards us who believe. Or the, or the King James is actually really neat how it says it. It says, power usward. God has this power usward towards us. And it's power in us and it's power for us. And it's power that we need because of that problem that I just stated. It cre- our, the state that we're in while we're in this world, it creates doubts within us. And we listen to these great statements of our glory and inheritance and then we look at ourselves and we think that it isn't really possible for us. And we think, Lord, am I ever going to see the power that will come to me, conquer this sin that I see in my life, this sin which frustrates me, this sin which discourages me? Or we ask Jesus, do you have the power? Will I ever experience the power to, to overcome my attitude or my speech? I hate the things I say. I know that my attitude discourages other people, but I keep stumbling. Are you going to have the power to overcome that lust or that bitterness or despair that's in my life? And if we're not asking about interior struggles and power for those things, we're definitely asking for power to aid us in the challenges coming from the outside. For the Ephesians, they wondered if they would be able to endure the persecution from the Roman Empire or just the normal day-to-day persecution of of their culture that we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the book of Acts. We need power in our Christian life in order to overcome these things. And so these are the thoughts that come into our minds and often come most clearly to us when we see the glory, when we see the inheritance. Isn't it true that right after maybe a Sunday like last Sunday where we have seen the plan of the Father and the work of Christ and the seal of the Spirit and and we see so clearly the glory of God, it's right at that moment, right after a Sunday like that, that we then go home and think, but we aren't worthy. Right? That's when we see most clearly that God is God and we're not and and we really start to doubt whether all of that glory and all of that richness and all of that inheritance is really for us, whether we're really going to qualify because we don't. And so Paul knows this, and so he places before us this picture for the Ephesians and for us of the power that is in us right now and towards us from Jesus Christ. And so first of all, we just want to look at the nature of that power. He says, it's like he's running out of words here. Paul's trying to pack so much doctrine into this little prison letter from Ephesians that he just, he doesn't have the, the words. He's just packing them all together into one sentence. You know, Paul's known for his, uh, you know, hyperbole and for his, uh, you know, um, superlatives. And, and here he just goes like superlative crazy. 
He says the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. The immeasurable part there is the Greek herperbolo, and it often translates elsewhere as surpassing power. And so Paul is grasping here at words and he can't find enough of them. He's saying this power that surpasses our understanding, it surpasses our ability to describe it. Paul's basically saying, give me all the words that you have in all the dictionaries and I'll try and use all of them, but whatever number of words I use to describe this power, it surpasses all of those words. It's immeasurable power by any standard. And you say, well, we could measure the power of God maybe by the output of all the energy of the globe. No, that's not even close. Okay, well, we'll measure the power of God by, you know, the output of stars. Nope, that's not going to measure up. You know, we'll measure the power, uh, you know, of the galaxy, of the universe. Well, this is the power that made the universe. And so that's not going to do it. It's just immeasurable. It's literally immeasurable. You can't measure the greatness of this power. And then he says, according to the working of his great might. And that word for working there is energia, which is actually energy. You could say the energy of this. It's, it's not static power. It's not potential power. It's kinetic power. It's working and it's set free and it's, and it's manifest. And so Paul is saying the energy of his great might. And even that phrase great might, you know, and all the translations here sort of fudge the Greek a little bit into coming up with English so we could read it because great might or immense strength or mighty strength. Um, King James Version again says it really well. Mighty power. Because the words translated here, great or immense, is actually kratos, which itself means strength. So it's not great, it's actually power or might. And yes, if you play video games, that character's name in that particular video game is intentional. That's why he's called Kratos. And uh, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. So this Greek word kratos literally means might. Right? It doesn't mean great, it doesn't mean immense, it means power, it means might. And then it's followed by iskus, which is another word for might and power. So it's, it's strength which holds and overcomes or prevails is iskus in the Greek, and nothing can be released from it or stand before it. And so Paul says the working or the energy of this strong strength or of this mighty might or this powerful power, it's strength upon strength. And you can sort of see here how Paul is just like piling on words to try to get across to us that God's power is immense and it is working. It's energy that's kinetic and working in our, in our, for us, towards us, our us, usward strength. It's incredible. But then it's a very specific kind of power that we need too that's at work in us. And so he elaborates on the kind of immense strength that is God's strength working in us. And he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So specifically, this is the same power, this is the same energy from God, the same holding and persevering strength of God that worked in Christ that is in worked in, that has at work in us. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like us, like, like his. And you say, well, why is that important? Why did he pick that? Because remember, Paul is trying to encourage these believers that they have the power and strength to persevere in this life, and the overcoming power that you and I need in this life is resurrection power. Right? Creation power is great, and we are made a new creation. But what we need is redeeming, healing, resurrection, life-giving power because we are dead in our sins and we need to be brought back to life. 
and we follow the paths of death in bondage and sin and we need to be set free from that bondage and sin and brought to life in the same way that Christ was brought to let brought to life in the way that he broke the bondage of death and was brought to life and set free so it's exactly the kind of power that we need to be assured of the same glory of Jesus so that when we go home and we think all of those things that Paul preached and all of those things that that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesus are fantastic, but do they apply to me? Yes, we need to know that that same glory is coming to us as came to Jesus. And so Paul says this power of God is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that took him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. That's the power that's in us that is usward. That power to work you is resurrection power of Jesus. It's power that vanquishes death. It's power that breaks the bondage of death. And so, yes, if you need power in your new Christian life, this is the kind of power you want. You want that immense power, and you specifically want this power. Because Christian salvation is based on the power of God towards us, not our power towards God. A Christian is the result of the operation of God's power. God makes Christians... Men don't make Christians, right? It's not our power, but God's. And we could go through Scripture and look at how often Paul repeats this. I'll just hit them really quickly. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, he says in Romans 1. He says, But we preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians. He says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Philippians 1.6. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, same word, energy, work, that he powerfully works within me, Colossians 1.29. Ephesians 2.8, he says, you will, and we're going to get to that actually this week in your study, you're going to get to Ephesians 2.8. He says, you have been saved by faith, that this is not of your doing. It's God's power that makes Christians and holds Christians in their walk and in their faith. And so we just see here how Paul strives to describe and he's at a loss for the words, for the nature of this power that is working in us in Christ. But it's power for us. He says that we seated Jesus at the right hand of God and that there he is above all. And I just want to touch on four things here that it's important that we see that Jesus is above in terms of the supremacy of Christ. Remember I said there's two doctrines. The first one is the supremacy of Christ. Paul wants to get across to us the immensity of the power of God that is through Christ and therefore the supremacy of Christ in this power that sets him above all things. That's what's meant by the supremacy. And he has four things that he's above. And then it will come to us in our union with Christ, the second doctrine. And so Paul knows that the people of Ephesus and us need to hear this as well because there are powerful forces working against us at times in our lives. And just as often as we might doubt whether we will make it ourselves fit for heaven or that we will qualify for glory, we also wonder if God is really powerful enough to act in our lives. And we wonder, will God ever give me the power to overcome the challenges that I face? Will he overthrow the forces that are arranged against me? Will I overcome this sin and this habit that persists? You know, will he overcome the circumstances of my life, whether it's illness or whether it's trial or whether it's, um, you know, some challenge in relationships? And then above all that, I know that I actually have an enemy who is set against me. And will I overcome that? There are powers and forces that are at play in my life that are frustrating my Christian walk and my ability to follow God. And we wonder, does God have the power to, to overcome that? And Paul knows that. And he says, 
yeah, Christ is supreme over all of those things. Look at these things that he is over. Three times he says Jesus is above everything, and one time he says everything is under his feet. So there's four ways that he says that Jesus is supreme. First of all, he says he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And so there is Jesus. He's lifted up to heaven. There is no higher place than heaven. And he's seated and throned in the place of prominence of power at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And Jesus, he says, is far above all rule and authority. He's over everything. He's over the created world. He's over the moral world. He's over the spiritual world. He's the creator of the universe who's created all things, who did so through Jesus, we read in Colossians, by him and for him all things were created. And so he's sitting in heaven, Jesus above all and in authority of all created universe. And then it says Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power. There is no power or force at work against you that Jesus is not superior to. As you go through your life and you think of government forces or you think of you know, any sort of authority, In Ephesus, there were these Christians that were previously under the authority of evil spirits. You remember from a couple of weeks ago? They were under the authority of superstition. They were under the authority of the worship of Artemis. They were under the dominion of witchcraft or the dominion of the merchant guilds, uh, you know, who had sort of economic power over them in the city. They were under the power of Roman law. For these Ephesians, all these forces and authorities were once at work in their lives. And Paul comes along and says, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he has authority over everything. All powers and authorities are under him. Anything that tries to claim authority on your life, Jesus is superior to. And so what is it in your life that used to command you, used to own you, used to control you? What is it that's trying to control you now? Is there some authority in your life, some power, some influence that is trying to control you? Could be friends, could be peers, could be a lifestyle that you think you have to conform to. It could be a drug that you think you have to take. It could be a beauty that you think you have to measure up to. Paul comes along and he says, Jesus is supreme and above all these other authorities and all these other powers in your life. And in addition to that, secondly, he says, and he is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And so Paul says the name of Jesus is elevated above every other name. And as many of you are probably aware in this culture of Paul's and in many other culture, a name itself carried power. You remember when we were back in Acts looking at Paul's time in Ephesus, you, you remember the the seven sons of Sceva who tried to use Paul's name and Jesus' name as some sort of powerful spell to cast out an evil spirit. Well, Jesus' name isn't a magic spell, but it is a name that every spirit recognizes. And Paul is simply saying that the name of Jesus carries with it more authority than Herod or Caesar or Artemis or any other name or any other authority in your life. This is the name you want to turn to if you are in trouble. It's the name of Jesus. And I just wonder if Paul had in mind here a psalm like Psalm 124. Psalm 124 was written by David, a man whose life is a testimony of what it means to have the name of the Lord or God on your side. The history of Israel can only be explained but for the fact that the Lord was, had powerfully worked for them when we talk about the power of the Lord. 
And Psalm 124 is a song of ascents. It's sung as people of Israel walked up to Jerusalem for feasts and for worship. It's a call to worship. It was a reminder that God is worthy to be praised, and it was a reminder of the power of God. And so Paul, I think here, when he talks about a name above every name, just listen to Psalm 124, and I, I can't help but think that Paul is thinking of a psalm like this. He says, If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, This actually sounds really Pentecostal here because he's asking for the congregation to kind of give a testimony. He says, if it had not been that the Lord had been who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And then the flood would have swept us away and the torrent would have gone over us and then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And look how it finishes. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The name of Jesus is put above every other name. The name of Jesus is the name that you turn to when you need power, when you need help, when you need freedom, when you need the breaking of bondage. This is a song about the power of God and the truth that God does take sides. God isn't obligated to take sides, but by his own choosing and in the fullness of time, God intervenes for his people and God is the one who makes the difference. And so you call on the name of Jesus when you need help. The weakest Christian that has God on their side will inevitably prevail. And on the other side of it, the strongest power in the world that is set against God is doomed to fail when God is not on their side. And so Paul here, when he's speaking to the Ephesians, is trying to get across to them, you have power towards you from God. You have that power in Jesus. His authority is over everything. His name is higher than every other name. And when you're on Jesus' side, you will win. Your help is in the name of the Lord. And this is the help that Paul wants to encourage the Ephesians with. If the Lord was not on your side when Ephesus rose up against you, when that riot was taking place, then Ephesus would have just swallowed the church up. But God was on your side, and ten years later, this church is still there. When you're drowning in those circumstances in life, when it felt like you could not keep your head above water, whether it was with finances or with health or with trouble, if the Lord had not been on your side, the flood would have gone right over you. But the Lord was on your side and the flood did not go over you. His name is higher than every other name and your help is in the name of the Lord. He's broken the snare of the bird catcher. He's broken the bonds of all the devil's devices to capture you and you've escaped The name of Jesus is above every other name and your help is in that name. But then he goes on. He says, not only is Jesus above all powers and authorities and not only is his name above every other name, he says he's put all things under his feet. So instead of saying that Jesus was above everything, Paul now says that God has put everything under Jesus' feet. Just one more psalm, one verse. Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Right? This is what Paul's referring to. He's saying all things have been put under the feet of Jesus. God is going to put all enemies under Jesus' feet like a footstool to prop his heels up on. And this is the power. Remember, all of this is Paul describing the power that is usward, the power of God in Jesus towards us. This is the power that's in work in you and for you. 
This week, as you look, go ahead in Ephesians, you're going to be reading about the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's a spiritual battle going on. There are enemies against us as citizens of heaven. But Jesus, if you read that, you will be terrified unless you remember what Paul has already said, that God has already put all those enemies under Jesus' feet. That that spiritual battle is already won. That they are a footstool to Jesus. And that this has already happened. And the encouragement here is that we know the power of God and the supremacy of Christ now in our life. Hebrews 2, 8 and 9 talks about this. It says, now putting everything in subjection to him. So he's talking about the same psalm there, that God has put everything in subjection to him under his feet. He left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. What's the writer of the Hebrews saying here? He's saying... God's put everything in subjection to Jesus. He's put everything under his feet. He's left nothing outside of his control. He's saying it's true right now. When we look at the world, we don't see everything in subjection to him yet. But what do we see? We see what Paul sees. We see Jesus crowned with glory, seated at the right hand of the Father. It doesn't look at first glance as though things are subject to Christ. We don't see everything behaving in subjection to him. But what we do see is Jesus in all authority and glory and honor, knowing that none of these things are outside of his control. And then Paul finishes off the picture. Jesus at the right hand of God above everything and everything under his feet. Where does that leave us? And this is Paul's finishing point on the matter. And this is what he really wants us to see. This is the second doctrine. It's our unity in all of this, our union with Christ in all of this. Not only is Christ's supremacy, but our union with him. He goes on and he says, and he gave him as head over all things. So it's the fourth thing that Christ is over. Head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is, of course, head over all things, including us, and we would have to be of course, or else we would be above him. But Paul says Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, and the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now what does that mean? Where does that put us? If we just follow along the picture here of what Paul has painted, we get a little diagram. First of all, we have God the Father in heaven. We know that. And I've represented God as a golden triangle. This is my little diagram here. So we have a golden triangle. You have God in heaven. Paul made that clear. We have God in heaven with all this power that is coming towards us through Jesus Christ, this resurrection power. And then he says that seated at the right hand of God is Jesus. And so Jesus is a red cross. And so we put Jesus seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And what Paul has told us is that seated at the right hand of God and that underneath him is everything. Just a big gray blob underneath. Everything is underneath Jesus, right? You following me? This is the picture that Paul has painted so far. This is what's going on in Paul's mind. The Father's in heaven. Jesus is at his right hand and everything is under his feet. But then he says the church is under the headship of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, of course. But notice the church is not under Jesus' feet in this picture. The church is Jesus' body. And it's the fullness of Christ in the church. 
who is fulfills all and is in all. We are not his footstool like enemies. We are his body. And so Paul wants to paint this picture. You take, you take this text, which is just so dense, and you unpack it all. Paul wants the Christians in Ephesus to see that there is a God, the Father, who is powerfully for us. And his power, the nature of this power is immense. The nature of this power cannot be measured. The nature of this power is beyond reckoning. It is might upon might, powerful power. It's immeasurable. And specifically, it's power that is resurrection power that we saw at the cross with Jesus Christ. It's the power to defeat all of our enemies, even death. It's the power to break every bondage. It's the power that we need as Christians. We need resurrection power in our life. And so he tells us that we have this power. And then he says this power manifests itself in Jesus in a way that Jesus is supreme. He's over everything, every power, every authority, everything that's going on in your life, Jesus is superior to. It's the supremacy of Christ. But then he also wants us to see where we stand in that. We are the body. Jesus is head over the church for sure. But he's not put the church under his feet. He's made the church his body. And so in this first chapter, Paul wanted the Ephesians to know these things. He wanted us to know the hope. He wanted us to know the riches, but then he wanted us to know the power. And he launches into this explanation of the power and describe the power in such a way. And then this letter just unfolds where Paul's revealing where we are as, as Christians in relation to this power and that Jesus is at work for us. That it is a power in which we are the body of Jesus himself believers in the fullness of Christ. And as we meditate and become aware of this power, we become increasingly able to work it out in our life for our good and God's glory. Because remember, what was it that Paul wanted in his prayer? He wanted us to know this. He wanted us to have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation that we might know this power. Because here's the thing that Paul understood. To the greater degree that we apprehend the power of Jesus and that he is in authority and that we have all of this power for us now, to the greater degree that we understand that and know that, then to the greater degree that power actually works works itself out in our lives. And that's what we know, Christians, right? People who have been here, who have been Christians for a long time, Right? The more you know about the power of Jesus and the character of God and the things that Jesus has done, the more those things become real in your life. The more they actually start to manifest and make changes in your life. And that's what Paul wants for these Ephesians. He wants them to know this power. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I pray that you have a great experience or that you feel these things. Right? He says, I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom and that you know this, that you understand this. Paul's emphasis here is that it needs more than just feeling. It needs more than just experience. That to the degree that we know Scripture, that we know the New Testament, that we know the Old Testament, that we know the doctrines, that we know the truths, those, the knowledge of that power manifests itself in our lives. So Paul wants the Ephesians, he wants us, he wants you to know that God is powerful and God is on your side. He wants the eyes of our hearts to be open to know this power. And the way that we know this is to be in the word. As we meditate and become aware of this power, it becomes increasingly able to work in our life. And as the eyes of our hearts are open day by day, the reality of this power begins to take hold of our tongue. 
It begins to take hold of our attitude. It begins to take hold of our habits. It begins to take hold of our sins, right? And so as Christians, as we're going through our life and we're wondering these questions, will I ever have the power to overcome this sin? Will I ever have the power to change the way I talk? Will I ever have the power? Will God ever, you know, use his power to affect my attitude? He will, as you meditate on and know the power that is in Christ Jesus, those things will begin to have an effect on you and transform you. It'll begin to change our habits. It'll begin begin to change our temptations. And as we pray and seek God in the knowledge of this power, we get on God's side. And on God's side, not even death will have victory over us. And so you just step back and you just look at this paragraph and you realize what Paul's done here is he's just said, you've got to understand that you need power. You need power to live the Christian life, but don't worry, you have the power in Christ Jesus. He is over all powers and authorities. He's put everything under his feet and you are his body. You are the fullness in him. And he will give you the power as you meditate on it and realize this in your life. Let's pray. Father God, This text is just so jam-packed. Paul wanting to get off of his heart through a pen onto a scrap of paper that he has in Rome in prison. All of these things that he wants for the Ephesians and for us to know from your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that we would meditate on this scripture. That it would sink into our hearts the immensity of your power and all of that power being directed towards us and all of that power coming through Jesus Christ and all of that power being resurrection power, all the power that we need and that there is no authority, there is no power that is trying to control our lives that Jesus isn't greater than. Father, we will walk out of here and we will think, this is great, but where do I stand in it? And we'll remember that we are Christ's body that we are united in him. And Lord, that should give us encouragement. That should give us strength. Father, that should give us hope. Lord, we pray for your resurrection power to enter into our lives to transform us, that we would realize that it's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us and our white-knuckled strength to try to you know, get ourselves changed and in shape for you. It relies on acknowledging that you are in authority over all things, even our own lives and giving ourselves over to you and letting your authority rule and not giving any authority or any power or any credit to anything else, but only to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.